Um, I'm Karen Kearns. I'm the director of Polarity Center here in Ann Arbor, Michigan. My colleagues Fran O'Connell and Linda Green and I are honored to be presenting to you an online presentation that we offered at our annual Polarity Center conference in 2014. And the title of the conference was Spirituality and Triune Energy. Um, at, at this time, I'd like to introduce uh, Fran O'Connell. If you would, uh, Fran, introduce yourself, please, and just highlight what you'll be presenting tonight, and then Linda. Sure. Hi, everybody. My name is Fran O'Connell, and I have a polarity-slash-spiritual direction practice in Beverly Hills, Michigan. I have a master's degree in education, as well as a master's in pastoral ministry. I taught at the high school and college levels for 37 years before retiring to focus on energy work. It is a great pleasure to be with you this evening. I'm going to be presenting um, the Enneagram, which is an ancient spiritual tool that we can use to help us know ourselves and our clients a little bit better. Linda? Hi. My name is Linda Green um, with an extra E on the end. There is another Linda Green RPP in Ohio. I'm the one in Ann Arbor. Um, I have various training in my background, but I think to keep it short, uh, I have been studying polarity since 1996. I do have my RPP. I was uh, trained and mentored by John Bodery and supported by the annual trainings from some of the founding generation of APTA brought to Ann Arbor by John and now Karen. Uh, almost 20 years ago, Dr. Stone's writings in Book One, the Energy Chapter, sent me to learn more about Judaism and Kabbalah. Since then, I have graduated two Kabbalistic wisdom schools and am now in the middle of a three-year certification program to become a spiritual director, like Fran. Uh, I'll be certified by Aleph, the Alliance for Jewish Renewal. And I'm very excited and honored to share my personal th synthesis of polarity and Kabbalah teachings um, as I use them uh, with clients. Okay, thank you both. Um, the intentions for this particular presentation was and is to raise awareness and to reinforce our need and value for holding a neutral presence in our polarity practice with belief systems, whether they're familiar, unknown, or contrary to our own. I see my role uh, in developing this presentation um, a, a raising awareness of spirituality as a need not just as an elective life subject. What is our relationship with this force, this neutral force? Dr. Stone many, many times mentioned the dweller within as the source of life's energy. How do we get in touch with this within ourselves? How do we help other people do so as well? At the conference, one of the exercises I gave to participants was to experience the reactions to a short vignette. They were to close their eyes, listen, and monitor their reactions, as I encourage all of you to do now if you so choose. Here's half the story. A person walks into a bar and asks for a glass of water. The bartender pulls out a double-barrel shotgun, puts it on the counter, and points towards the door. 
The participants then took about five minutes to sense and to write down their mental, emotional, and physical reactions. Here's the whole vignette. A person walks into a bar, asks for a glass of water. The bartender pulls out a double-barrel shotgun, puts it on the counter, and points towards the door. The bartender pulled out the shotgun and pointed to the door because the person had the hiccups and he was trying to scare him out of it. Again, the conference participants wrote down any change in their reactions, mentally, emotionally, and physically. It was at this time that the participants then paired up and discussed their reactions to the vignette. Now, this particular um, little exercise was setting a stage for the Enneagram and the Kabbalah presentation and that there are many reactions to what, what's being presented. This is a practice for practitioners in observing their own reactions or responses to client stories and histories or, again, something unfamiliar, unknown, or possibly contrary to the listener's beliefs. Sometimes, as practitioners, we react to what we hear from our clients. If the reaction is a negative or a contractive one, it can hinder our perception, intuitive abilities, and the resonant, resonant neutral space that we're to hold. Inquiring about a client's belief could help us find a resonant belief within ourselves that will help us keep a broader, supportive, neutral, energetic field for them. Another aspect of this intention um, is to become aware of the value of spiritual practices as healing tools for ourselves and clients. To include in our intake questionnaire and review time elements of spiritual beliefs important to the client. Then an agreement of reminding the client of those beliefs held dear can be resourceful and inspiring and could be utilized by the polarity practitioner during the table work session. On page 8 of Health Building, Dr. Stone says, What is life for if it is not to make an effort to achieve a higher realization of consciousness? A realization of the soul which gives us the uplift associated with the best of physical and mental health and raises us far beyond the reach of the pain and anxiety caused by emotional, mental, or physical dis-ease. So those were some of the intentions and an example of a particular participatory exercise at the conference. So before I begin to talk about um, uh, beliefs, are there any questions or comments at this time? No. Let okay. me just remind. Let me just remind people to uh, star seven to talk. It's star six to mute. To star seven to talk. And I might have already muted you. So if you'd like to speak, star seven. Okay, let me just mention one thing before I forget, is that I, um, in submitting the title of this conference to a uh, an accredited continuing education agency, because I used the word spirituality, they would not accept it for continuing education. I know I know the APTA will, but it's very interesting to to note that 
Okay. So the power of belief. A typical understanding of a belief is that it's something is true because we think it's true. But belief is so much more than that. It's a product of all the human tools of perception and the evolution of what we have agreed to. What we believe is the result of all the long-forgotten oaths and promises we've made with ourselves. For example, people who have been traumatized at a very young age sometimes decide and believe that the cause of the trauma was their fault and live their lives as unfulfilled, unrealized potential because of it until they realize and become aware that that is what they believed that it no longer applies and can change. Another example is those who partake in an experimental drug test and took a placebo, thinking that the placebo they took made them well, not the drug that they anticipated they took. That's another example of the power of belief. Mr. Ray Dodd, in his book, The Power of Belief, states, that belief is a living dream with volition, memory, dialogue, agreements, and a distinct emotional point of view. Your beliefs are a series of filters you perceive through, and without awareness, they dream your life for you, whether you are awake or asleep, conscious or not conscious. An aware, conscious, and compassionate practitioner can help a client slowly and with dignity unfold beliefs that are contrary to their optimum health on all levels. So since we're talking about spiritual practices, what about an atheist? What if an atheist comes to you? If a person who claims to be an atheist or one who does not believe in God, you could ask them what they value in their life. You could also pose them a thoughtful meditation if they don't have a ready answer. You could say if a person or perhaps the client they're speaking with is thrown into deep water and cannot swim, what would they attempt to save their life for? That is what they value. An agnostic, one who believes that it's impossible to know whether there is a God, one who is skeptical about the existence of God but does not profess true atheism. So again, what do they value? Okay, are there any questions at this time? Remember to um, dial star 7 to unmute yourself. Okay. So then what you are about to hear in the next two presentations are wonderful, in-depth, ancient spiritual practices that one can utilize for personal growth and understanding and assisting their clients. So if there there aren't any more questions, Fran? Okay. So this is Fran. And um, if you have the email, then you're looking at at a couple different diagrams. And I'm going to go through each of the Enneagram types with you. Um, But basically, this is a tool to show us how our ego can support. So we're going to be talking about the Enneagram, uh, in part because self-knowledge can be the beginning of our own healing process. 
So identifying our Enneagram type can mean identifying our greatest gifts and our greatest challenges. We all spend a lot of time hiding our shadow self from ourselves and from others. The Enneagram brings those shadows to light with a capital L. The shadows couldn't actually exist without light. So this is a teaching that reminds us that like it or not, we live and move and have our essence grounded in divine light and love and presence. We've all learned ways to function and to be in the world. These strategies are based on finding out early what works and what doesn't. There are nine Enneagram energies, and they're based in a physical experience of reality. The program that I offer, Making Space for Grace, is usually a weekend presentation. Um, so we're going to not be able to discuss all nine types fully, but hopefully in enough detail so you can begin to recognize some of your own patterns. We will be discussing how these divine energies get distorted by our ego, creating behavior patterns that are highly dysfunctional. We might notice those behaviors in our clients, but to learn to hold a neutral space, we need to begin to see them in ourselves. So now's the time to get real honest with yourself. You're on the phone. Nobody can see you. It's just you and divine wisdom right now, so no need to hide. As I go through the types, the one that humiliates you the most makes you squirm, even though you're on the phone. Well, it's a good bet that's your energy pattern. Pay special attention to where you have the most physical response. That's where you can be making specific connections to polarity. We're going to start with type 8. And so if you have the handout, you can look at, at that kind of the 11 o'clock position. Traditionally, we begin all Enneagram teachings at the 8. This is called the challenger. These are folks that need to be against something. Survival is at the forefront for 8. They learned early that it wasn't safe to be gentle or giving. 8s tend to experience life as hostile and their self-image is dependent on feeling powerful. The passion of the eights is lust. They're driven by a constant need for intensity, control, and power. Eights see themselves as the rock, like, I can handle anything. I'm too strong to get sick. My blood, high blood pressure is nothing I can't handle. Eights also might feel that others have to be controlled for their own good. Eights feel like they're pushing against life, and it's a struggle they're not going to lose. They can be very bossy and aggressive without really realizing it. How this behavior pattern came to be is for another discussion. Let's circle right back to the idea that eights began as a divine energy, as we all did. And that energy is magnanimous and empowering, strong, direct, decisive. When eights can get in touch with that part of themselves, they can change the need to have power over others to a desire to have a positive influence on others. They no longer have to prove their strength. Connecting with divine presence allows eights to know they are strong. No need to prove anything. And that's their space for grace. Type 9 is called the peacemaker. They need to avoid conflict. They prefer the path of least resistance and are afraid of decisions that might pin them down. Nines, nines might have trouble taking initiative because they learned early that the best way to keep harmony in the family was to disappear and not cause anybody any trouble. 
so they work hard at being low maintenance. Nines can be quite passive aggressive, do a lot of just sitting it out, stubbornly refusing to contribute anything to change a situation. Nines may ignore disturbing aspects of life, like just put a pan under the leaky roof and then close the door. The passion of the nine is sloth. It's not laziness, but a desire to be unaffected by life and unwillingness to really show up and engage with life. Nines can be quite cheerful, focusing on the bright side because they don't want their peace of mind shaken. They also may have difficulty mobilizing themselves to achieve what they want. They like to be involved, but they don't want any expectations attached. Now let's look at the divine energy that is the nine. It is patient and stable, non-judgmental, creative, peaceful. Getting in touch with that part of themselves, nines learn that they are highly effective in handling crisis. They can stay calm when others become overreactive. And they listen without judgment so others have the freedom to express themselves authentically. Connecting with presence, nines recognize the grace to fully engage in life and know that all will be well. Ones are called the reformer. They need to be perfect. These are the rule followers, the folks who try without ceasing to perfectly live up to the expectations of themselves and others. Ones learned early on that to be good, one needed to follow the rule. And if they were good, then things would be perfect. Being right is extremely important to the ones, and they often feel responsible to correct others. Their passion is anger. They are consistently frustrated and dissatisfied with themselves and others. They're very hard on themselves, especially holding themselves to exacting standards and expending huge amounts of energy and self-criticism. Yet the divine energy of the one is in alignment with all that is good and right and true. Getting in touch with that alignment allows ones to recognize themselves as reasonable and responsible and principled. Connecting with presence, ones learn they are good by virtue of being created in the divine image, not by anything they have to do to achieve being good. Recognizing their innate goodness is the one's space for grace. The twos are the helpers. They need to be needed. Twos want to be liked and have a need for validation. They feel loved only when they're helpful and loving and defer their own needs. That's what twos learned early. I should attend to the needs of others, and my needs aren't that important. Twos place themselves in the role of helper and take pride in being needed so much by so many. That's the passion of the twos, pride. In this case, pride refers to the inability to recognize one's own suffering while finding some kinds of actual validation in the suffering of others. Twos flatter others, intending that the attention will be returned to them, and they absolutely deny their own needs. They might get huffy if you suggest they take care of themselves. And twos like to make sure you know of their wonderfulness. So they might say, I'm so sorry to have missed your call. After my volunteer work at hospice, I dropped off dinner for a sick friend. But lest we forget, all this is just a distortion of the divine energy of the two. That's unconditional love, generosity, compassion, and nurturance. When twos begin to recognize that presence, 
they're also able to recognize their own inherent value and they no longer depend on the reactions of others. Rather, they foster independence in others, willing to teach new skills to help people thrive on their own. By connecting with presence, choose know, I am loved for who I am in God, and this is their grace. Choose knows they don't need to do anything for anybody to earn it. Threes are known as the achievers. They need to succeed. They appear to always know what they're doing and are usually successful in whatever they attempt. They play whatever role is called for in a given situation, but they don't know who they really are. Threes have had formative experiences feeling valued for doing certain things well. They learn that validation comes from achievement or performance. Success seems effortless for threes, but they actually work really hard and don't want other people to know of their effort. They don't always know how they actually feel. They just know how they should feel, and that's what they show. They adjust themselves to circumstances and may not know who they are apart from the image they've created. Their passion is a deceit belief that we are only our ego self. All their effort is put into polishing the ego rather than developing their true nature. What is the divine essence of the three? It's a genuineness, the ability to help others to be their best, self-confidence, persistence, and an openness and communication that builds community. When threes connect with presence, they experience authenticity. In this space, all need to be anything but who they truly are, drops away. Fours are called the individualist. They need to be special. They want to be noticed for their specialness and try to stand out from others. They long for beauty and feel that rules don't really apply to them because they're special. They don't care much for material possessions, but they do long for whatever seems to be unattainable. As children... Fours may have felt abandoned and misunderstood. They learn to gain attention by being different, temperamental, or sulky. And because it still works for them, fours can be overly sensitive, withdrawn, dramatic, sometimes moody. The passion of the fours is envy, a feeling that something important is missing and that others have what fours lack. Their focus is on what is missing rather than on their present blessing. While they attribute enormous significance to their own feelings, they are often unaware of the feelings of others. How did fours get to thinking that they're so special? Well, they lost touch with their divine essence of sensitivity and beauty and expressiveness and participation in the uniqueness of all creation. When they live from this, they become able to communicate truth are extraordinarily creative, embody beauty, and remind us of our deepest connections with one another. Connecting with presence allows fours to know that they are special and unique and beautiful. And in this space for grace, they connect with what they've been longing for, the beauty in others and all of creation. Fives are the investigators. They need to know. These are the head people, loving facts, research, questions. Fives are tempted by knowledge because knowledge is power. They're looking for stability in their lives, and they think they can find it by being informed about everything, researching as much detail as possible. 
because fives didn't always feel safe in their families. They retreated into knowing stuff. They occupied their minds with books or collections, computers, rather than interpersonal activities like playing with the neighborhood kids. They found they could cut off painful feelings by staying with their thoughts. Fives are very conscious of energy expenditures. They often wonder if they'll have enough to meet the expectations with others. Being with people for fives feels like a strain. The passion of the fives is avarice. Fives hold on to resources like time, energy, information. They feel like they don't have the inner resources for relationships and that being with people depletes the resources that they do have so it's hard for them to commit. Remembering their divine essence would offer fives the recognition of their innate intelligence and their innovative ability to solve problems. Living from this, fives would know themselves to be observant, perceptive, and inventive. Perhaps most importantly, when they come down from their heads, fives can connect with their physicality and their vitality. This is the space where they find the energy to engage and interact fully with others. Connecting with presence, fives see what needs to be done, and they do it, fully committed, fully engaged. Sixes are the loyalists. They need security. Sixes continually sense danger. They're filled with self-doubt, fear, and anxiety. They are dependable and loyal because they find their security in relationship with others. They tend to fret about small things, and that often leads them to catastrophic thinking. As children, many sixes experienced a fear of separation or loss of a parent that resulted in anxiety about nurturing and available support. Chronically anxious, sixes worry about financial stability, their health, friendship, the health and well-being of others. They have an inner committee in their head, not just a single voice. So as they're trying to make a decision, They would think, what if I did this? What would the boss say? What would Sharon say? What would my mom say? What would the neighbors say? This can lead to an indecisiveness because sixes are also fearful of making a mistake. And that's the passion of the sixes, fear or anxiety of things not actually happening now. They're concerned and worried about possible future events. Sixes love well-defined rules, and they don't like too many options. They dislike surprises, dislike change, and all because they've forgotten their divine quality of inner guidance, the wisdom of spirit that lives in sixes that allows them to work and be feeling safe and secure. And from this space, sixes can get things done. They prioritize and strategize and achieve outstanding results. Connecting with presence in that space sixes realize they have nothing to fear. Sevens are called the enthusiasts, and they need to avoid pain. Sevens see the sunny side of life because they don't want to look at anything else. might be painful. So they fill up their calendar with as much fun as possible. Unpleasant tasks are put off for as long as possible, and if they have to do something they don't want to do, they include little treats for themselves as incentives. They avoid pain by distracting themselves and others, often with laughter. As children, sevens learn that for any number of reasons, they would have to take care of their own needs, kind of an unconscious decision to nurture themselves. Sevens learned painful emotions were not to be expressed. Rather, validation came from putting on a happy face. 
So relentlessly chipper and optimistic. Seven, fear being tied down or stuck in any way. So they overbook, overcommit, and overdo, and all to avoid painful situations, emotions, or memories. The passion of the sevens is gluttony, an insatiable desire to fill up with experiences, objects, behaviors, in order to overcome feelings of emptiness. And whatever it is, it's never enough. Why this distorted view of life? Because the sevens have forgotten that their divine inheritance is an unlimited capability to know, experience, and appreciate life. Connected to presence, sevens know the sense of abundance. The seven space for grace allows them to know there will always be enough so they can rest in stillness. So those are the Enneagram types. Together, we make a whole, the face of God in the world. We might not like certain tendencies that we see in ourselves, but let's remember how we started. God dreamed us into being, infusing us with God's self. So we each express different aspects of the divine. We may sometimes feel fragmented, but we're never really in pieces. You and I will always be part of this divine whole. So I don't know if we should do questions now or we should do Linda because we got a little bit delayed with the email thing. What are the thoughts out there? Well, I really like how you intertwine the the presence in all of them, um, and, and and being able to hold through presence the the space for grace. Well, it's an important understanding. You know, it's that neutral space where we can let clients be and not have our own agenda enter into the whole situation. Does anybody have any quick questions? Star 7 to talk for those of you who just came on or came on more recently. Okay, then I guess Linda, you're on. Okay. Thanks, Fran. Sure. Okay. The machine tells me I'm unmuted. So, I'm going to talk uh, primarily about how polarity and Kabbalah principles relate to each other. I'm going to start with Dr. Stone's perspective when he always said, look for the health, no matter what uh, condition a person presented themselves to him. In other words, we've been asked to witness the wholeness, which is the neutral quality of each individual from our own neutral witnessing place. Similarly, Kabbalah's perspective is receive the person's divinity, the Godhead, the Holy One of Being, whatever you consider beyond yourself, is the neutral power. And we assume that position and hold the other and look for their health in their divinity. Lurianic Kabbalah um, 
asserts that creation happened only because the creator was yearning to be in relationship with a reflection of itself, much like what Fran has said. So all creation is filled with this yearning to be in loving relationship, and I believe that's the essence of the healing relationship. Uh, in Judaism, the watchword of the entire faith is Adonai Echad, the, the holiness is oneness, that we are all part of a whole. Again, very similar to Fran's um, underlying assumptions for her presence. So as a practitioner, I strive to hold this spiritual perspective for myself uh, in creating a container and holding out the possibility, the potential for the client to also enter into that spiritual perspective, whether they are a believer in a particular spirituality or not. The fact that I hold that potential means it's possible for the person to enter into their own neutral and healthy uh, flow. Um, Dr. Stone emphasized in, uh, oh, and I want to mention that in my long presentation, I spent a lot of time on how Kabbalah can assist you in uh, creating uh, a neutral, holy container uh, for a presence for yourself and container for the client. Uh, tonight, I want to emphasize uh, some of the more tangible energy flow, energy location aspects of the similarities between uh, Kabbalah and polarity. So uh, we'll start with, uh, in book one, page 24, uh, Dr. Stone asserted in several different ways over the next few pages uh, from the biblical quote that the river that flows forth from Eden, Genesis 2, 10 through 11, that the active principle of the soul is symbolized in the caduceus and expresses the mind slash prana slash life force energy. So he's asserting the presence of the soul in the uh, energy that we're working with. And Kabbalah, of course, emphasizes that same river that flows forth from Eden. It's a very uh, seminal phrase that's used often by Kabbalists in introducing their concepts. So Kabbalah naturally also sees the soul and the mind energy sourced from the universal energy, the neutral energy, the constant flow of divine energy which shows up in humans and that we manifest as our intention uh, you may have heard the phrase in Hebrew is called kavana, represents the mind energy, which can manifest reality. So in both Kabbalah and polarity, the one river becomes the four, namely the ovals, the elements, and the realms, and manifests in our very anatomy. In polarity, we refer to this flow of energy as involution and evolution. In Kabbalah, it is called the descent of influx and then the return of the energy to divinity. Both honor the flow of energy from above and its condensation into form and denser, slower material matter. In Judaism, and especially Kabbalah, it is important to manifest in material form to live a real juicy life. You know, you do 
you're le- you learn your lessons, you make your mistakes, but you also strive to do healing service for the planet, which is known as tikkun olam. And you yearn to complete that energetic flow back to the universal energy through those good works and forgiveness. So this is seen as the flow of life up and down what is known as the tree of life. And the tree of life maps onto our bodies. Um, It's often represented in both directions, the right side up with the roots in the ground and the tree uh, branching and flowering above. But more mystically, it's seen as having its roots in heaven with the energy flowing down through those roots and flowering below into material form. So I want to spend a little time on that mapping on the body, and that is in the chart uh, that is called Kabbalah Energy Centers. So the triune energy is uh, acknowledged or emphasized uh, in Polaris, in the in the Kabbalistic uh, view. Uh, there's an awareness that the right side of the body is the masculine positive energy, and the left side of the body is the feminine negative energy, and that the trunk of the body is the neutral, uh, the trunk of the tree of life, and that's what a person strives to balance themselves into when they work with the characteristics of the tree of life. Um, Actually, I kind of got ahead of myself. I didn't want to get into the the Sephirot quite yet. I want to um, review the fact that the four realms or four worlds are also included in Kabbalah, just as we have spirit, mind, emotion, and body uh, through our chakra systems and our awareness, uh, so do Kabbalists work in those realms. Um, The realms are often represented overlaid on the body, uh, uh, descending downward, but um, more mystically or energetically or if you want to view it from the um, atomic principle (laughs) Um, they really are seen as spinning worlds within spinning worlds so that each world contains the other worlds and uh, are impacting the other worlds at the same time. This is probably a manifestation of uh, Judaism's first mystical practice, which was meditating on the spinning wheels of Ezekiel's chariot, which dates from 100 BCE. So um, spirit in Hebrew is called atzilut, uh, the highest realm. The next realm is bria, creative intelligence, mind to us, intellect. Uh, Then emotions and relationships called yetzirah. And finally, the material plane, the physical manifestation is called asiya. So... um, just as each world spins within the other worlds, each of the sephirot that I'm going to name also contain all the other sephirot, much as we learn in um, from Ayurveda that every chakra contains every other chakra and uh, ma- modifies 
the energies in that chakra. So the goal of polarity is to enhance wholeness and wellness, optimizing, enhancing, uh, balancing the flow of energy. Uh, And the goal of Kabbalah is to enhance wholeness through assuring the shefa, the divine flow, and balance of the sephirotic energies within the body. Uh, This is governed, as I said, by the soul mind, the intention, the kavanah. And it's manifested in the right actions of the individual. So living from the center of the tree of life in the neutral balanced energy, bringing those qualities of the neutral, is the spiritual ideal. However, there's a deep acknowledgement of the wrestling to achieve that balance. Uh, The term Yisrael, the name that Jacob is given uh, after he wrestles with the being at the riverside, means one who wrestles with the divine. So it is built into the mystical system that you are not broken or imperfect to be in the process of wrestling in any of the four realms with any of the sephirot, with any of the energy centers. It is part of the divine whole and flow of energy. So again, it's seeing the health, seeing the divinity within the individual's condition. So the sephirot themselves, they're often said that there are ten, but you'll actually, if you count up, there's, oh, wait, I gave you a chart. The second chart has the 11th. There are 10 on the first chart, and the 11th is on the uh, Tree of Life Descent of Influx chart. So we'll start with the original 10. Uh, and I'll, ask, I'll, I'll add the da'at here, too. So each of these energies is sourced in the universal energy, the neutral. And they flow in and condense, and they make up each individual. We all have all the qualities. Now, just as in Fran's system, some people are going to be dominated by one aspect or another. But the potential to use, just as we may have a dominant chakra, we all have access to use all the chakras, Everyone has access to use all the divine energies that flow into them from the universe. Unlike chakras, there are paired sephirot which balance in the center. They correlate to unified chakras. So the crown chakra comes in from beyond and contains the neutral energy condenses down into Chachma, the right brain of wisdom, which is uh, male, and then into the left brain, which is Bina, the feminine understanding. That's balanced uh, at the third eye, in the pineal gland, uh, in, in polarity. It's not overtly acknowledged in Uh, Kabbalah. The balancing point for those two features, the wisdom and the understanding, is da'at, which is at the ether throat chakra. That is the bridge between supernal knowledge and the start of earthly knowing as things condense further into material form. 
Then the energy moves in to chesed, loving kindness. It's the right shoulder. It's the masculine positive energy. Balanced by gavura, strength, which also represents coming into form, container, discipline, justice. Uh, in the left shoulder, in the feminine side. And these balance at tiferet, the heart chakra, representing harmony, unconditional love. Uh, Tiferet is the balance point in Kabbalah, just as it is in the chakra system. Condensing further into Netzach on the right, from the right solar plexus to the hip. Um, it's uh, I consider it perseverance. It's labeled as endurance. Um, and the left side is hode, which is labeled as majesty, which kind of obscures the notion of knowing your right size. It can also be called, sounding paradoxically, humility. Uh, in Jewish practice, humility is not the act of humbling oneself, but knowing which part of God, which kind of which part of divine purpose or universal energy you are meant to express and deliver to the planet, to the whole. Which part of the whole are you? And you shouldn't exercise too little of that gift or too much of that gift. And that is the nature of humility in uh, Kabbalah and uh, Musar, which is the uh, character study. Uh, in Judaism as well. And these, of course, obviously relate in the ability to get things done to the fire chakra. Moving down to the center trunk again, where all these elements are starting to condense and integrate, is Yesod, the foundation, also related as the integrated ego, the lower ego, Tiferet being the higher ego. Um, located at the genitals, the generative chakra, the water element. And this in turn flows to the tailbone, down to the feet, manifesting as malchut, the earthly kingdom or garden, where we have our grounding. And how this energy flows directly in is shown on the descent of influx chart very similar to a zigzag protocol. Uh, however, you notice that the other uh, sephirot continue to be connected to each other so that every aspect of these energies modify and influence each other. And by um, working with the various energies together, you can create healing and unification and integration manifest more holy qualities. So just as uh, polarity practitioners are urged to move beyond chakra center protocols um, to follow the energy as it directs you, a mindful Kabbalistic healer is concerned not just with isolated energies but the flow and impact of each energy upon the other. 
So I have two guided visualization exercises um, that I've been designed to use when sharing this information with a group uh, like yourself in a learning situation. I'm going to say it too fast for you to actually do it, but you might take the time. Um, they both assume that at least a brief time has been spent exploring the multifaceted aspects of each of the sephirotic qualities, acknowledging what it looks like when it's in excess, when it looks like when it's insufficient, and what uh, a more balanced manifestation of that energy would be. Um, and if that's a very important perspective used by Kabbalists to work with the sephirotic energies. So the first energy exercise would be to simply look at the chart with the names and location of each of the sephirot. Uh, singular is sephira. And at a meditative pace, have yourself or another embody each energy in a well-balanced form at the physical site on your own body or on their body. Invite that sense of energy to radiate from each spot successively, one at a time from above to below, until the entire body is activated and shining. Uh, this can also be done by having someone visualize the body in front of them. And I'd like to emphasize as you look at the chart that since medieval times, the Kabbalistic Tree of Life qualities have been represented on the page as if you could step into them. They are not a mirror image as we in the Western world do it. So that when you're, you look at the left side of the tree, it is the le your left side. And as you look at the right side of the tree, it is your right side, not the person you're looking at's image left or right, reversed. And I hope that wasn't too confusing. But if you were to hold this, if you printed out the chart or you're looking at it on your computer screen, imagine that you can uh, radiate the light, illuminate each center until each one is vibrant and you step into that image and those places in your body are activated and alive with the energy of the Sephirot. Uh, when you work with the second chart, time would be spent describing the step-down of the gush of the initial creative energy, the unconditional loving energy that flows forth from the universe into us and condenses into, uh, you know, as it comes through the crown, left, right, brain, shoulders, throat, uh, condenses and feeds each successive refined aspect of the divine qualities, our strength, our loving kindness, our persistence, uh, our appreciation for uh, the unconditional love of the universe, um, our ability to integrate information, our ability to manifest projects in the material plane, all of these things are infused by the universal energy that we work with. So um, once, a once you have had 
someone else or you yourself have traced that flow of energy can also work in pairs and have someone use uh, hand holds either on or off the body to trace the energy as it flows into the body. Working with um, the psychological, emotional, intellectual concepts themselves on an intake form can also provide a mapping to the body for you as a practitioner. So that, for example, uh, an individual struggling with family or work over commitment who needs to perhaps set boundaries, you'd be guided to look at the left and right shoulders to work with excess loving kindness perhaps, needing more uh, containing and strength, uh, and this would balance interferet. Uh, at the heart where the uh, higher mind energy integrates and balances those two qualities. And vice versa, if someone comes in with symptoms presenting in a particular location, the practitioner either using their own awareness or actually uh, interviewing the client might uh, investigate whether a particular issue uh, was at the heart of uh, the imbalance of energy at that place. An example of that would be someone who might be having trouble finishing projects, getting things done. And you could work through the trunk of the tree, uh, activating the isode, the integrative energy, the flow from the water chakra, to loosen, to get them to flow into finishing, or perhaps they need a push from their netzach, their persistence, their endurance, their ability to bring their fire to play. So you might work from the right hip to the root chakra. So just as in polarity, the solution, the path of moving energy may lie in opening uh, an energy center directly or connections between various qualities and various body sites that feed the flow to or from uh, the sephirah that you're addressing. So I have, this is, these are uh, limited <laughs> brief uh, explanation of the energies, where they're located, a little how you could work with them from your awareness. And I'm going to wrap up by just closing with saying that the Kabbalistic spiritual training has been integrated uh, into my chakra and triad body mappings. I'm of awareness of the sephirotic energies and the sephirotic body mapping has kind of joined uh, in my hopefully neutral spiritual awareness of receiving someone's divinity. It's opened me up to responding to the concerns of a client as they manifest in all four realms, whether it's their body, emotion, thought, or spirit. And like Dr. Stone um, and Kabbalah, I believe that attuning my kavana, my intention, my ability to hold awareness and intention aligns me with the original energetic flow of the health and wholeness, the divinity of the individual. Uh, the single most important Kabbalistic perspective uh, 
which I see marrying so well with my polarity perspective, is that we are given a whole and a holy self-sustaining and repairing energetic system. It manifests in our form. When we pay attention to augmenting and connecting the movement of this spiritual energy, the result is radiant life force. So I thank you very much for your attention. And uh, again, I'll turn it over to Letitia and the timekeeping as to whether we have time for questions. Thank you very much, Linda, Fran, and Karen. Uh, we do. Normally we stay on until about 9.30. So uh, please, anyone that has a question, all you have to do is star seven and then just ask your question. I would like to add one thing. This is Karen speaking. Is that when certainly we would have maybe three or four, at least, three days, probably four, for this presentation, that there is table work, that there is a, a chance for um, people to, to think about a Kabbalistic point of view or, or an enogramic um, integration into their um, perceptions um, that went to, you know, interviewing each participants, taking turns, and then moving it to the table. So... It was a, just a wonderful experience and holding neutral space, and the neutral space became, I think, more facet, multifaceted because of these presentations. Thank you. May I ask where, again, is the workshop held? Oh. <laughs> Um, it, it um, was just—it was a conference, oh, a one-time presentation. It was a one-time presentation. Uh, okay, that was really beautiful and very profound. I really appreciate your success tonight. Um, this is Meredith. Can you hear me? Yeah. I just wanted to say that was really excellent. I, I loved every minute of it. And I do have a large Orthodox community, uh, Orthodox Jewish people in my clientele, and mm. so I'm really excited about including the Kabbalistic information in my polarity practice. So I wanted to thank you very much. Uh, this is Linda. Uh, not every Orthodox community uses Kabbalah, so I would definitely inquire. Well, some not or- everybody does, of course, but yeah. Right, but I, because some mm-hmm. some Orthodox communities com- consider Kabbalah too mystical or secretive or whatever, so it really varies from community to community. Mm-hmm. So yes. I just encourage you to make sure you <laughs> know on which ground you're standing. <laughs> That's a good idea. <laughs> well, I have studied some of the Kabbalah myself. Okay. So, um, But I like the way you related it to polarity. I never thought of doing that, mapping the body in that way. Yeah. Fascinating. Well, yeah. 
it's 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 all it's all there. <laughs> it's amazing. Yes. And more <laughs> and more. And uh, if anyone wants me uh, to send my notes, um, or better yet, I know Karen would love to try to manifest this uh, workshop again somewhere else. Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, you can email me to request uh, my notes. Um, at l i n g r e e n e uh lynn green at gmail dot com um, but uh just like to emphasize we'd l- we'd love to have the opportunity to refine this and present it again yeah. well we would too. <laughs> Anyone else with any questions, comments? This is Karen again, and I would like to say that because we had more time at the conference, we were able to um, interject some Eastern um, belief systems and show similarities to Christianity and or Judaism. Um, so it, it, you know, because because of Dr. Stone's um, work with with some Eastern uh, philosophies and practices, I didn't interject because of the time element here. But um, we didn't leave those out, certainly. Well, with that, um, I know, Linda, you gave your contact information. Fran and Karen, do you want to give yours just in case um, people would want to contact you later with questions? Sure. Um, This is Karen Kearns. My contact information is uh, all small case. It starts with my last name, K-E-R-N as in Nancy, S as in Sam, the letter K, the letter M as in Mary, the number 64 at yahoo.com. And Fran? Fran, are you there? Yeah. Okay. um, Can you hear me? Now we can hear you. Yeah. Okay. So my email is frano underscore c-o-n-n-e-l-l at hotmail.com. All right, thank you. And thanks thanks again to all three of you for, again, bringing spirituality, something that we really don't hear that much about. I know a lot of us use as part of our practice, but it's not something that's very uh, talked about. I think that's reflected in the number of people that are on this call, uh, that it is something mm-hmm. that we're interested in um, and and all seeking if we haven't already found a comfortable way of including it in our practice. So with that, I'm going to say thank you to everyone who was on this call I'm sorry Mary Jo wasn't able to be on tonight, so I don't know who the speaker is for next month. I know it will again be the fourth Monday. Uh, So the next call will be the fourth Monday, and you will receive the information uh, about that probably within the next three weeks. 
Uh, and again, thank you everyone for being on and for supporting APTA and also for just uh, being willing to engage in a new APTA, which is what we're all trying to forge here. We're trying to bring everyone together for a new, stronger APTA that serves all its members well and that uh, responds to your needs. That's what these calls are about. Uh, we, uh, I have told you that you can count them as toward your CEU credit hours. Uh, I do keep your attendance, of course. If for some reason you came on late and I didn't get it, please email me so that I know you were on and can add you to a list so that it will be sent to APTA. Um, uh, my email, again, is l.bunge at glsintegrativemedicine.org. And once again, thank you very much for being on. Please continue to support us on these calls the fourth Monday of each month. And uh, we'll talk to you on the next call. Have a good evening. Thank you. Thank, thank you. you so much. Thank you, Leticia. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you, Fran and Linda and Karen. Thank you very much. Oh, our pleasure. Thank our you. Pleasure. Our pleasure. Thank you, everyone. Thank you. Bye-bye. Right. Good evening, everyone. Bye. Good night. Bye. Good night. Good night.